0: folks, you're very welcome along this Monday evening to the TTM, the LCC TTM show. Delighted, as always, to have Damien Harvey and Kevin Kelly with us. And our special guest tonight is a man who has, uh, well, he's done it all, really, and, and we're going to hear the whole story Damien Lawler. Damien, great to have you with us.
1: Thanks a million, Old. Great to be with you, lads.
0: Yeah, lots to talk about and lots to discuss. And, uh, of course, most importantly, the fact that the, the dubs are now on, on uh, like <laughs> 24 in a row. And... Uh, is there, is
1: there any 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 change in that? No. Uh, every time I keep talking, to you Noel, I just see the name Carol on your screen, so it just completely throws me. out of there. Who the hell is <laughs> Carol? Anyway, the uh, and Carol's obviously your wife, so fair enough. Um, look at I, uh, I. I would have thought, Noel, that that Donny Gall were actually going to come out of Ulster and and come down and and give Dublin a rattle. I really did. I felt that uh, from a physicality point of view, and from maybe. A defensive counter-attacking structure that they were the closest to, to 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 Dublin. Um, that's when they bet you guys. I, I would have had you right up there in terms of being close contenders too, but uh, it was a miserable day in Batty Buffet. I was working there. I, I had to change my clothes three times. Um, that I just never saw a game. But that was came down to in actually the second half. Donegal threw themselves at the ball, they threw themselves at the rocks, and they wanted it more. And I actually thought they'd they'd go to come down south and give you a game, give Dublin a game. Uh, As regards Kerry, they were just too open at the back. But I thought to come out of Munster, and when when we came out of Munster, it was a pleasant surprise for everybody from Tipperary. And like, uh, I think had we got the two opening goals against Mayo, um, it would have been a different game. I really believe that because all those players were actually confident Noel that they did beat Mayo um, and it turned out we were maybe 10-13 points away which is a, a, a probably a, a very very hard tally to take and I know the players were very hurt by that but it's not a true reflection but I, I suppose now we're in a scenario whereby if Mayo don't plug the gaps that we found and as I speak to you there's a week to go six days it's a short time to plug those gaps I think Dublin are going to coast and I can't see anything coming in the next year or two that's going to stop the meter if if they keep their act together.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Donny Gall and the possibility that they, Gavin and I and have uh, discussed this numerous times but we would have felt that uh, mm-hmm. the one game for, the, for Dublin is Dublin taking the eye of the ball because we honestly believe that that's what happened with Donny with Gall because Donny played that Austra final with very much an eye on the All-Ireland semi-final and I think they paid a very, very dear price and you know, they, they looked impressive and on paper. They were a very, very good say to say this development and improvement. And if you said, they have a great structure. They have followers, good defensively. You know, they had all, all the, the trademarks that you need and all the quality. But the question was, they really, to test themselves, it had to be against Dublin. And I yeah. think they, 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 they failed because they took it out of the ball.
1: <clears throat> I thought that. Um, I don't know what Damien and Kevin think as well, but like I thought there was another one or like Langan and 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 these guys like were coming through and I thought they were really adding to the team and like I- Rat was nearly a frustrated soldier at times. Uh Stephen Rochford's coach, and I was watching that very carefully as well. Michael Murphy in the, the final quarter against against the E guys just dominated the game, like just in, just in terms of positioning, <coughs> gathering possession and laying it off simply and um yeah, look at to be honest with you, like even looking ahead to next year, where, where do you see the challenge coming from Dublin? Like, I mean to Dublin. I mean, there's not going to be anything from Leinster anyway. Like, I mean, look at Kildare's results. Look how Meat got blown away in the in the in their game. If you look at Connacht, um, Mayo would be the closest again. Uh Galloway nearly pipped them, but Galloway probably squandered so many chances. It's hard to see how they're going to tighten up in a year or two. So it's going to have to come from Tyrone or goal again, that's that's, the, that's that's where the threat's going to come from. C- can Kerry turn it around? Well, you'd imagine Kerry will come out and win the Munster title next year. Um, but there's a lot of gaps there still at the back, you know, and there's gaps mentally as well. Yeah.
0: Kevin, I'm just thinking, Jimmy asked there, where, where is the challenge going to come from? Well, my prediction for next year's All-Ireland semi-finals, which will also be played in in possibly in June or July, is Dublin A will play Dublin B in the first match? <laughs> we'll
2: play Dublin B in the second game, Kevin. I <laughs> uh, well, good luck, with that, but I, I don't buy into that. I think mm. I think this Dublin team have to be applauded for what they've what they've done for the GA and oh Um, maybe it's time to stop certain grants and money. We, we've, yeah. we've created the monster. We don't have to keep feeding it. Um, but I think while the provincial titles and championships chips are, are very important. I think, realistically, looking ahead, you know, the only, the only way the likes of Dublin are going to probably be caught is if there was an Open Championship. I know that's never going to happen, but you know, you imagine there if Dublin had a go-to-Bally buffet on the wet day that, that Tyrone had a go, for instance, you know, you're know, you travelling, you're going to a pitch that's a mud bath, which you wouldn't be used to. Um, it takes all that... Um, so I think I think the uh, the provincial championship this year were were a breath of fresh air apart from obviously Leinster, which is a like there's no point even talking about Leinster as a championship to be honest with you. Um, I think come uh, back to Munster there, great to see Tipperary, unbelievable to see them. Um, actually, the, the won me money as well. I have to say, had them back, but <laughs> <clears throat> has now here and there. But I think uh, you go back and it's a whole it's a um, it's a knockout. You know, one one go at championship football. Uh, there's no doubt Cork caught Gerry that day you know, David Clifford missed two or three freezes he was normally put over with his eyes closed Gerry didn't play well that day but you know, it still took Cork till the last kick of the game to beat them and I think uh, as I said at the time when, when Tipperary came off the field after winning the next time that day I'm sure when they heard that Gary were out it, it was a win-win for them because you know, going into the, 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 the Monster final it was always going to be very hard for Cork after beating Kerry. They probably thought, right, we put we you beat Kerry, you win the Munster Championship. You know, no disrespect to Tipperary and and um, but I felt that uh, Tipperary probably went into that game with, with everything to win because Cork Cork had everything to lose because it beaten Kerry. Everybody was saying Corks an All Ireland semi final, which is very dangerous. And the same um, about uh, Austin no. I said at the time there was very little between Throne and Donegal felt that if Tyrone had to come out of Ballybuffet that day, Tyrone would have won Ulster. I definitely could not have seen Tyrone slipping up against Calvin. And again, no disrespect to Calvin. They deserve to win Ulster. But, um, you know, there's, Tyrone don't slip up against those teams they're expected to beat. And, you know, going back to your point earlier on, Cairn um, Thompson, I think, got seven points against us that day in Ballybuffet. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, he, he, he didn't... Donegal didn't start him for whatever reasons. Um People said he had a wee slate injury. Maybe they were thinking in terms of Dublin down the road, and, and um, you can't think that far ahead and knock out football. Yeah,
0: you know, That's one of, the, one of the prices that you can pay. Mr. Harvey,
2: uh, I suppose
0: we've discussed this long and hard over the last number of weeks in terms of uh, who, what, why, and whatever, but uh, there's no doubt about it that when we look at it now, we're down to the, 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 the last two. Uh, Mayo, I suppose most people would have expected yeah. them. gold. even had Dublin, or even had Kerry Park with us or Kerry or Cork being in the all Ireland semi-final, there's a fair chance that most people, uh, from a betting point of view, will still have gone for an all Ireland final of uh, Dublin and-, and Mayo.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair to say, Noel. Um, Mayo obviously relegated a Division One this year, but I don't think their league form um, sort of set anything up in terms of championship. They're always going to be a team that are ultra-competitive ultra come championship time, particularly in Connacht. And it actually, I think it actually suited them because he gave them something to fight for this year. And yeah. See, they've introduced a, new, a few new players, but um, that's their problem. I th- you know, I think, I think from a cohesive unit point of view, I don't think they're near where they need to be to take on this Dublin team. Um, I was listening to an interview during the week where Jack, Jack McCaffrey talked about, you know, just giving it up for a while because he was just tired of the relentless training that was required to reach that level. Um, but so that's no problem. We just slot in another. With, you know, there's, there's, there's five men waiting to take out his place, and they're equally as good. And that's the that's the difficulty. Whereas Mayo are probably coming in a wee bit like yeah. where they have a, you know, from our perspective, we you know, we're in a transition period, where new new boys coming in, and you don't take on a Dublin team that are at the top of their merit with with new guys just appearing on the scene. And I, I, whilst you give them a fighting chance, and Mayo will always be competitive. There's no there's no doubt about that and they'll give it their all. And they may cause Dublin lots and lots of trouble, but you just don't see anything other than a Dublin win here. Yeah,
0: it'll be a huge, huge shock and a massive surprise. Having said that, you know, uh, Crook Park, an empty Crook Park, a very, very wet, windy type of an evening. You know, <coughs> Dublin probably played on own Roma this year in the league and it was a horrendous night, absolutely horrendous night. And... Uh, I thought that certainly improved our chances and as it turned out <laughs> it worked well. I mean the well is not uh, the forecast isn't great for next weekend. you know who knows Will will that favor mayo or or uh will, um, will it affect that at all um
1: like i do think that with the hype <laughs> being been stripped away to a fair degree, that will help mayo um I think that mayo have come down <laughs> to park before. Uh, performed very well in All Ireland finally and not come away with anything. The expectation has gone really downhill since then. But that'll help them as well. The empty Crow Park will definitely help because, for as much as Dublin dominated Cavan last week, there was only five points in at half time, and and I found that incredible because um, I thought Dublin's dominance maybe with with a packed crowd maybe they would have maybe the, the, the hill might have brought them. I suppose maybe a bit more momentum or whatever, but five points is not insurmountable. And and, and tried everything. They tried the flanks, they they tried uh, to go direct, um, and and they tried to the counter attack. And then Dublin were able for all that. And I think Noel to be able for all that, no matter what the weather as well. I I love this talk about a, a dodgy full back line and a keeper dodgy under the high ball. I know that 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 weakness has gone about seven years now. To be fair, so I think that. I do give Mayo. I do give Mayo hope. There's no doubt about that. Um, why? Why do I give them hope? Um, I think in the, in the in the last few finals they've brought they've brought a performance with them. I think James Horan needs knows what is needed to, to be produced on the day. Uh, the likes of Paddy Durkin, Anocheen Mullen, although he wasn't great the last day, I, I, you know they've given a huge impetus to it. Um, their bench is not as strong as they used to be. They're 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 not totally kind of, how will I say, they're nowhere near the finished article of midfield and they struggle with some kickouts. So that's the area that they need to address apart from the soft centre that Tipperary found. So there's three big issues to sort out there. I don't think you can sort them out in two weeks and that's why I don't think they'll win the game. But everything else, their full forward line is as strong and as powerful as anything in Ireland. Uh, Their attacking defence is exceptional. Their conditioning is the closest to Dublin's it has to be because they got 3-6 from turnovers against Tipperary in the first half. They have to be good at turning over the ball because they're not really dominant in primary possession in midfield. So they have a lot of boxes ticked even though they have faults as well. And I think they have enough boxes ticked to give Dublin a game
2: and and give them a right game at that. Uh, Kevin I, I give I give I give
1: Mayo a chance
2: now. Um uh-huh. Me, me and you were down in Castle Bar a few, or something, whatever amount of weeks ago it was, and, you know, we've seen the two sides of Mayo that day, you know, Tyrone dismantled them for, what, for 45 minutes a game, 50 minutes a game, and then Mayo, last 20 minutes, or just a different side. Um, time run out on them, there's no killing O'Connor that day either, don't forget. Um, I think... As Damien alluded to there, as common knowledge. I think it, when you know when there's no when there's no crowd there, I think it's it, ha- it helps the underdog, maybe more so. There's probably may more demons than anybody else when it comes to Croke Park and All Ireland final day, and you know, there's going to be no hill there to till, till intimidate them whatever whatever you want to put it. Plus the fact, you know, don't forget to, it was 2016 that the, you know they the give Dublin two own goals. 2017 that they got a man sent off when they were in the ascendancy. and you know, I think if you go back over this last number of years, maybe with the exception of 2018 when Tyrone played Dublin, um, I think Dublin have produced probably not their best performance when it comes to the final. Like they played, they played better in the championship the whole way through, but um, seems to be that they haven't got their, their their best performance till the final. And you know, they're going to have to do that again, obviously, for Mayo to have a chance. Mayo is going to need everything to go right on the day, but. I definitely give them a chance next
0: Saturday. Uh, something that Damien mentioned there, or didn't mention actually, when he was analysing the very... It really about the quality of the full forward then with O'Shea and Conroy and... and, and <laughs> O'Connor. O'Connor, sorry. Absolutely brilliant. The, the scoring threat alone is, is, is amazing. But it's getting the ball in there and getting the ball in on time and the quality of it. And, you know, I mean, p- people don't seem to realise how hard-working, tenacious, well-organised, focused, the Dublin defences. They kind of... 12 men behind the ball, defending as they were uh, against Meade in the opening 25 seconds of that game. And within 10 seconds, 12 men on the other side. They have brilliant pace, brilliant organisation. And, and, you know, they could eat up that, that uh, male attack quite, quite easily. The, the, one of the things that wasn't mentioned, Damien, and we uh, asked Mr. Harvey because it's an mm. area that, that he's familiar with, is the role and quality of the goalkeeper. Because... Um, he, I would feel well. He's, an, he's a good keeper, a good shot stopper. Kickouts aren't great, and if the pressure comes on, like we have seen before. Uh Damien Harvey, that is.
3: Mayo goalkeeper. Yep. Yeah, I think. Are you asking him? because uh, <laughs> when well, he mentioned poor kickouts, and then he probably can't turn to be a bit of it, but, uh, very. It was very good of him. Uh, thanks very much, so, um, You're dead right. Uh, I, I think yeah, I, I think there's a weakness there in terms of I think the kickouts. So we're looking at some of the kickouts the last day. They were there were loopy, They weren't going to hand. They weren't you know, and this was against it. You know, and yet I think Tipperary could have pushed up maybe a wee bit more and put a bit more heat on the kickouts. I, I felt that I felt that he was under pressure. Whereas the other boys just you know, um, the other boys a quarterback. Cluxton's a quarterback. He just he just pings them everywhere, and yeah. and, I, and that's what sets up their attacks. So a lot of their attacks, a lot of the Dublin attacks. So yeah, I, I think I I think they may well, Clark's under pressure, and he needs to. We will see what way that pans out. But uh, I think over the course of the seventy minutes, I think Dublin have their homework well done on them. Um, I know that we got an insight, a wee bit of an insight into what they did with Tyrone in two thousand eighteen. Um, we were down, I say we were down meeting with the Dublin guys, and we got a, we heard a bit of that the stuff that they've done in the Dublin on the throne checkout, they had it absolutely sussed, and they had it, you know. And that's it. That's a big part of the game now. Restarting is a huge part. So did
1: you did you get much information,
3: Damien, when you <laughs> went down to meet Dublin? Did you get much of an insight? Well, we got a massive insight in terms of their organisations Damien. They've got they're an open book when it comes to organisation. They like John Costello threw the door open, and he walked <laughs> us through exactly what they're doing in terms of their coaching, um, and the clubs are completely bought into it. I have to say, you know, John Coslow is—he's basically the man in charge. Like he—he—he yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. he makes the calls, and you know, a lot of the decision making is—you know, yes, they'll give a nod to the various com- committees, but mm. you know, it's a slick operation, and they run it like a business. And it's—it's it's, whilst it might be amateur in, in in its outlook, it's professional and it's and in a ethos and everything they do. So uh, I have to say, they're just—they've got themselves organised. Everybody else needs to step up, and and you know. Stop complaining and stop whinging and get on with it. You know, there's things that can be done to plug the gap. I fully uh, agree with you. Yeah. Yep. You know, will 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 they will they ever will we ever plug a the gap? We'll see. But I think there's a lot of people who just need to get get themselves organised, and a lot of counties would need a and, and I'm seeing signs of it. I'm seeing signs of the other counties get starting to get their act together. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, I mean, uh, the challenge is there for everybody, and I mean, Damien, would you agree that uh, football is technical? we we've, we've we've seen Kerry at the top. We've seen the Dubs at the top. We've seen me for a period. We've seen uh, a really, really talented uh, off the way back in the day. We've seen Ulster Sides at the top as well. And it is, it, it comes in cycles and it's not at the peak of their of their powers. It's a wonderful cycle for them. It may go on for another 10 years, but ultimately it's 15 men against 15 and we've often seen it where hunger, if you are you—if you have 15 men who are uh, motivated enough and hungry enough, I'm talented, of mm-hmm. course, you can still
1: get the, the occasional sharp results. That's an the HH how much of football? Yeah, like, I mean, most of the All-Ireland Finals, they've won have been very, very close. Uh, maybe not all the semi-finals, but most of the finals have been, you know, close victories. Um, comes down to maybe their mental resilience, comes down to their culture. Uh, it comes down maybe to the work that they've done off the field. And I think that from talking to managers at all four divisions, uh, what even I interviewed Benji Whelan, who stepped down from the Waterford football job around the same time that Lenny Harbison stepped down as interim manager, and I was saying to Benji like, uh, who would have been a, a good former player for the county and trying to get Waterford football going, and trust me, guys, if if Waterford football was taken seriously, they'd be they'd be contenders at Division Four, Division Three level too, because. Everybody plays hurling and chooses to ignore football apart from the little pockets, but the point I'm making is the raw materials will be there, the football strongholds will be there, and that's a county in Division 4, and Benji was saying to me the biggest selling job he had was trying to convince guys to do that extra bit of conditioning, do the extra bit of performance work and do the extra, to basically buy into the culture of an elite intercounty player even though they're in Division 4, and that's a hard sell. That's a hard sell for anybody at that level, and even now, as I talked to you, I got a text in um, from a couple of people and they're, they're sounding out characters for next year because if you look at the Limerick hurlers who were just playing two hours ago in the All-Ireland final, every ball was delivered perfectly into the full forward line. I mean, diagonal ball bouncing in front of a forward. They were off, often operating with one forward, sweeping out the bow corners with the ball coming into him. And that's exceptional to look at. But what I'd be taking from that is Every time a Waterford player got the ball, he was hounded by three or four guys. Now, can money produce that? Uh, okay, it can probably maybe help you maybe get a, an unpaid leave from your job for a while if the sponsor is there. It could maybe get you the best gym equipment, maybe the best recovery materials in terms of your nutrition. But Jesus, to me, comes down to, to work ethic and that ability and that determination to get to the ball no matter what happens. And when you don't have the ball, you see the likes of Aaron Gillan, and and, and, and and these players coming out trying to dispossess the men. And you see that with Dublin and you see that with Limerick. And I really agree 100% with, with Damo there. I think it's up to everybody else to get up to that level. And I've written two pieces for RT in the past fortnight. Uh, one on Limerick's emergence and one on Dublin's Kind of culture and how they've been funded and how they've helped themselves over the past fifteen years, and a lot of the feedback from both threads was ah you didn't mention JP McManus, you you underplayed the role that money has played, uh, or in Dublin, well sure they get six hundred grand a year from their sports council before they even get out of bed in the morning, why would you not mention that more? And like to me, Dublin, a, a county like Dublin needs that six hundred grand a year funding. Just to keep gda gdos or, or, or gpos in the schools so that money wouldn't affect the dublin senior team to me it's all about attitude and culture and from reading the little bit of insight you got in bernard brogan's book these guys would be training at six o'clock in the morning um you know under maybe floodlights and bray Emmett's, and you'd hear nothing about it uh they have the best of everything but they, they train in very primitive basic conditions so Oh, I'm not naive, the, the money is a massive thing and it can pay for a lot of things but exactly, Nola it comes down to what you're talking about and it comes down to what Damien you have to have that hunger and Jesus, you have to have, as Damien says, a long term plan. As I said, it took 15 years for Tipperary football to see any benefit look at the cavern underage structures, that probably helped produce what came this year it's not going to happen
3: overnight, and you need know, to just on that point. Yeah, just on that point. I mean, Kevin often talks about that as well. You know, in terms of championship and even throwing championship football, and we had a team this year that won a championship. Brendan won the senior. Yeah, championship yeah, first time year. in years. Yeah, without a without a county player, and we often talk about the you know the fight of the the, the, the uh, of the player to 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 make it happen. Um, like. You, 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 in the past, wrote the book about the Waterford footballers, and and often thought about this here about in terms of the, you know, the t- the story of Tipperary, you know, the story of Tipperary footballers, very small sort of area of players, but it's a sign that shows you a bit like what Calvin have done recently. If you get yourself organised, if you get yourself into some sort of shape, there was a long term strategy and a long term plan there. It's now starting to come to fruition, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, before I talk about my own county, go back to Limerick. Um, You know, in 2008, they decided enough was enough. Um, they, they had a trial match. One slitter, they lost a the, the trial was abandoned. Players were coming in, getting the gear, going home, not really turning up the next day. Um, they changed the culture completely. And the, Eamon Cregan was the first man back into that development squad under 14 manager. Um, you had people like Shane Fitzgibbon, uh, pioneered a whole lot. Joe Quay took a bunch of team, a bunch of lads that won under 14 under 15 All-Irelands um, a couple of hours ago most of them have won their second senior medal now. So it doesn't happen overnight as regards Tipperary David Power, Pat Moroni, but John Evans would have been instrumental as well as putting in development squads and I think um, the, the big killer in Tipperary is for the last few years players are not allowed to play dual duel now and I mean our minor footballers guys got hammered by Claire by 20 points yesterday so that's a, a massive red flag for us. Were we allowed to play dual players, we possibly would have come a lot closer or won that game. But hurlers now go one way and footballers go the other. And that's not right to me. I think up to under 20 level, you should be allowed to pick and choose. Maybe maybe minor level. But to answer your question, 15 years of a development plan, uh, baby steps the whole way up, uh, winning the under 14 Jim Power Cup. Um, winning an All-Ireland minor was a, mir- a miracle, I think, to David Power. Getting to an under 21 final against you guys. Um, getting promotions, getting to two ireland semi semi-finals. It's incredible, really. Uh, I'm from North Tipperary, and that's a hurling stronghold. Were we committed to football, I think Tipperary football would be even greater. But in my division, it's purely hurling, really. Uh, I was with the tip under-20s and under-17s football in the past, and it's a struggle to get guys from the North to commit or to get them to their clubs to let them play. So what I mean is everybody has to buy into the plan. And without that... So this year, winning Bloody Sunday commemorations of a Munster final, that's more PR for tip football than anything I've seen in the last 40, 50 years. In fact, it's anything I've seen since I was born. And uh, that will maybe change people's minds because suddenly tip football was actually popular. And you had grown men, former hurlers, actually getting emotional seeing it. Whereas before it would have just been brushed under the carpet. So I'm hoping for a culture change there. Uh, but we realize now ourselves we need to go back now and start rebuilding again that's the key point our, our foot's been taken off the pedal and sh- we've barely won him one minor match under 20 match in four years
0: you mentioned him in there uh, uh, about those tests and, and how they came about and i'm just thinking that because Gaelic football and kevin i'm sure would agree with me on this one is such an emotive subject and such an emotive topic and i mean we've all been achieved where there's been speeches made where guys have gone out and that it's just, Oh, the the doors, the walls, the entire stand to get onto the pitch. But I'm just thinking of that bloody Sunday, that whole commemoration that must have yeah. played a massive role in the motivation, the drive, the commitment, the determination the yeah. life, that type of priority.
1: Yeah, they they realised the significance of it to an extent. And I think as 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 it went on then Noel, they, they realized really the significance of it. But well, I think it was after the game actually they got the full whack of it to be honest, because um they did a great job in that. They got the jerseys two weeks out and they wore them in training to get used to them. The leadership group, including Connor Sweeney, were asked, did they want to wear the commemorative jerseys? Like they're the, the Grange Mokler jerseys. Like and like I suppose without getting too cringy about it, like there's a great pride of being from Tipperary being involved in the GEA because the association was founded in Turles and to have a link like that to Bloody Sunday. Um I went to college with a guy called P. J. Lanigan and PJ played football for Tipperary. He was all telling me about his his granddad. He, he's two medals and he played on Bloody Sunday. And I suppose as a young lad, I didn't really appreciate it, you know, and it maybe took McFoley's book and the events of this year for me to cop on what it was all about, you know, I mean, i got a sense of it around the time Ireland played England in rugby, um, but just a privilege to be from the county really. And the great thing about what the lads did was they parked the emotion of that maybe two weeks out. Uh, they acknowledged it and they got on with it and they played football because they knew they could beat Cork. I think maybe against Kerry, psychologically that could be a bridge too far in my opinion I'm not saying the players would feel like that but they went down next team they let their football do the talking and I think afterwards the enormity of it hit everybody I mean they the, were very very emotional and I knew we'll say before the, the Mayo game they were going to lay a wreath uh, at the side where Michael Hogan was was shot dead and, and that was going to be win, lose or draw and to me uh, there was a photograph of a Tipperary team from about maybe 80, 90 years ago standing on that spot and then there's the current day team standing on that spot and, and that was very very raw for everybody and the point I'm making is there's still direct descendants from that bloody Sunday game in the county and you got to meet them this year with the with the with the reeds being laid and that's still very very raw you know yeah
0: yeah Kevin we often say this here if you always do what you always said you'll always get what you always got goes back to what, what Damien was just saying there but if there's no plan on this, if there's no enthusiasm, if there's no commitment, if there's no long-term strategy, things are not going to improve, no matter how much talent you
2: have. Well, that's it, you Noel, know, you go to build a house or whatever you have to put the foundations in and you have to have you have to have that forward plan on where you want to be in X amount of years. But, of course, um, I still, we talk about this, I meaning you talk about this all the time when we're going to football, you know, that you still need that will and hunger and commitment, you know, if... It doesn't matter what stucks are put in place. You go out on the field, you cross the white line, you haven't got them things that will to win and hunger and all the rest. You've got nothing in my book. Mm. Um and you know, management teams and everything can put everything into place, but you're powerless when when you go over that white line and, and uh how many games have you seen where where teams have um, seem to be coasting and the game goes away from you and, and on out on the field and there's nothing along the line you can do nothing, absolutely nothing about it. It's up to players to have to think their way out of them situations, but look, the structures have to be put in place. Um, I think it's brilliant to see Alex. I'm not condescending, but it's great to see Alex at Tipperary coming there because you will know, have one in all iron minor. Um, Tyrone did beat them in, in an all on the 21 final five years ago. And I remember, I remember not long after that, talking to a fella actually from Tipperary, I can't even mind his name now, but he was up at a function up at our place. And um, you're sort of giving out about the way Tyrone. You know, there was a bit of maybe bad blood off that game, and yeah, thrown on yeah. this and thrown on that, and I sort of said, you know, you need to, you know, you need to park that up. The big problem you have there is, is you know, are playing sack and fiddle to Cork and Kerry down there, and you just maybe before you when you go down to the field against them teams, you will maybe beat before you before you start. And you know, I I says you need to forget this whole thrown thing. As maybe it's a North thing or an Ulster thing, but you know, you need to park that up. Sometimes I think the national media got on the back of that, but. Ulster so, won that All Ireland the 21 final. My book, fair and square, and that day in Parnell Park. But my thing was that you know Tipperary need to start. And you know, from a football point of view, like if you take there, take Kerry for instance there in the Joe McDonough Cup final today, Take Kerry out of the hurling, out of Tipper or out of Munster and Hurland, Any any out of the out of five uh, counties in in Monster could win an All Ireland hurling title. Right. So whatever footballers from my book need to be doing is. Um, you know we're every bit as good as Cork. We're every bit as good as Kerry. Get the structures they have. Got the good the men. There's good men in every county. Yeah. There's good men in every club, and it, it's it's getting the best. Getting that. Obviously, you're going to need money. You're going to need granted and all the rest. But as Damien and Laura there said, there you know you need you need the men in place, and you need to you know you need to have that commitment, and you need to have that hunger, and you know don't be looking about and saying that this this county's getting this, this county's getting that. You know go out because like you know, there's there's 25, 30 good footballers, good hurlers in every county in my book. Maybe everybody's maybe not getting the same levels of, you know, obviously maybe people can take time off work and things like that then. They're not, you know, it doesn't hit them in the pocket. That's a different argument. But like there is, you know, there's 25, 30 good footballers, hurlers in every county in my book. And it's only a matter of, of, of putting those things in place. That's a senior level, but obviously you just can't, you go stayed in there. You started on the 14 West Development squads or whatever way you want to call it, and you know get the right people in place. Try and take them players through, and um, you know, those Tipperary shown there in All Ireland minor on the 21 final, won a Munster title like that can't be can't be underestimated what they've actually done. You know, 85 years is a long, long time to have to wait. To, you know, but they broke the ceiling now, and you know the next big thing for them next year to show that it wasn't a one-off and. You know, when the champion the draw is made, you know it'd be a big. The next big thing for them would be take on Kerry in the Murray Championship and beat them. Yeah, absolutely, Mr. Harvey. Uh, Kevin, just
0: uh, as, he, as he was talking about there, in terms of what what Tipperary must do from here on, Um uh, quality of game. We often say that from from Tyrone's point of view, playing Division One in order to, to maintain that that real t- toughness, so to speak. It, it gives you a,
3: a, it's a very, very important uh, requirement for, for any team that has serious aspirations towards one and another in tackle. Definitely. I think well, division one and uh do, do temporary still division two, Damien, after this year, were there, did they
1: No, we're we're
3: division three demo, yeah. Right. So we need to so, we need no, to get back up there. Yeah, absolutely. That's they gotta be a I think division two at the very least is a is a is a minimum requirement. Um and for a team like temporary, that's where they need to go, that's where they need to be Getting to because obviously they were temporary in the last couple of years were very competitive up in the likes of Athletic grounds against Arma, and any team that's going in against a like Kieran McGinney prepared team and beating them and and and, and are, are fairly well fairly they've got themselves mm-hmm. rightly organized um but yeah look from Tyrone's own perspective I think uh, a big legacy of Mickey Hart's to leave uh thrown in division one. Um, because that's where you want to be. That's where the big games are, and that's where the competitive games are every week. And that's how you steal yourself getting them, getting ready for the championship. And um yeah. you know, that's key key territory for the likes of an emerging team like Tipperary. They need to get themselves back into into division two at the very least. Um yeah. and they, need, they need to play in those teams that are, you know, in the top sixteen. Um uh, they're not going they're not gonna, they're not gonna they're not going to make that breakthrough until they get themselves more regularly playing against those good teams. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Damien, uh, I'm just thinking that, that uh, for TIP, uh, now is the chance that they're amongst champions. They've got to capitalise on that. They've got to put a plan in place that builds on the success of this year. And that success or that building on the success may be only in small steps, but there has to be a much, much bigger vision further down the line and using, making good use of the success of this year.
1: Yeah, so the, I think the, uh, Damien's right, Noel. I think getting promotion to Division 2 is paramount. Getting back tr- to Crow Park is also massive for us, um, even if it's through the back door. They're the two goals I would set. Um, we're going to lose Colin Reardon. He's going back to Sydney Swans. Don't forget, we've got like uh, Pete Atchison is still in Dubai. John Maher, our captain, would have left the gun to the hurlers. He may come back. Seamus Kendi, John McGrath, people like that, they're unbelievable uh, footballers, but they're with the hurlers too at the moment. So who do we have? Who, who's stepping up? Uh, Josh Keane, Lee McGrath, they're away travelling. Uh, they might come back. Michael Quilliman is due to be gone this year. So the point I'm making is, we're not quite sure from any given year who'll be who'll be around. Um, it's not like the tip hurlers where nobody leaves. Tip football has been fluid enough for the last few years and it's definitely prevented us from from building further. But yeah, look, they play a great, great style of football. It's absolutely fantastic to watch. Those games that Damien spoke about against Armagh were as entertaining as you'll find anywhere. Uh, we bet Derry and Cavan in the qualifiers a few years ago. Incredible game. Like, we love to attack. We can be caught at the, the other end, but we'll, we'll always try and outscore the opposition. Play a lovely, exciting brand of football. And they're a great, genuine bunch of fellas. For, for me as a journalist, to be in Porky that day and be from Tipperary, was an unbelievable privilege. I think that's maybe the, the highlight of my career, to be honest with you. And for all the hurlers I've won, just see these guys getting over the line, massive. And I think Gaelic football needs them to come up as well, if I'm being honest about it. You know, and I like Cavin under Mickey Graham as well. I like the way to try and have a cut. Um, and I think that maybe these teams coming up, trying to build and trying to threaten, like we say, the likes of a Kildare or a Meath. You know, on, on a given day, they could beat them. And that's another step up. So, look, at long may it continue. we've got a good manager there now, David Power, a good backroom team. But knowing him, he'll be looking to build. We wouldn't be happy. No, we wouldn't be happy with the way the year ended. And I don't think we'd be happy just to accept that this will be it for this team. They'll, they'll want to push on.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, I just think when you when, when you look at it, and you see what's happening in Ulster and how close and competitive it can be. And even though Kevin did say earlier that it's unlikely Troo will lose a team that they're expected to, to beat. Also, Tyrone in the past have been, you know, suffered losses that yep. they, they, one or two, didn't expect. But when you look how competitive Ulster is, and we pride ourselves on the, that, that mm. any team can make can make a fist of it. Look at look at how things are out west in terms of Connacht, and of course in uh, in Munster. But Leinster, you know, with everything it all boils down; it all comes back to <laughs> this huge yes. monster, the dogs, because the Leinster championship is. It's just
1: not worth... Uh... I, t- I think you have to do everything you can to make it more difficult for them because, like, f- for all the new systems that's coming in, there's a split season coming in in 2022, there's going to be new proposals for football championships, but I expect the provinces to be retained unless there's four groups of eight. And um, if you're going to continue with provincial championships, well, what do you do to try and catch Dublin's dominance? So you have to fund the other teams more, you have to try and reduce Dublin's funding a little bit, and they've been arguing against that, Dublin has. Um, you have to try and get them out of Crowe Park, and you have to try and, and, and hinder them in any possible way and they'll still, they'll still win but for the long term I don't see any change in that, you know. So uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see what new format comes in. But you're right, yeah. You've got three actually decent championships. One exceptional one in Ulster. Connacht's very strong at the moment. Munster this year was exceptional and um, Leinster is a... Take out Dublin out Leinster it would be a cracking championship.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: that's, as you say, Noel, that's the dilemma we face. Everybody faces at the moment and Dublin have made themselves that way. Yeah,
0: Kevin. There's doubt about it that that's, uh, that Dublin team are. I mean, why do you complain about it and all the rest? They are the, the benchmark, but they also are an absolute delight to watch when they are playing football at the at the way uh, in the manner and the way that they
2: can. Well, an exceptional team. No, it's for, you look, you only have to look at the team of you know three or four years ago. Some of the players were on it, and, and they're not on the existing team. They just they bring a few players on every year, and they, and they just. The play the same way and the same method and the same result all the time, but um, as Damien mentioned, there, I think just you know, you can talk about money and all the rest, but I think you just have to put all the things in, in place to, to, to try and test them more, if you know what I mean. I think you know, um, the super eights just come in there, maybe, maybe you know, an all-Ireland quarter final where it comes to a state knockout, and no, um, you know. If, Dub- if Dublin are an all-Ireland quarter-final, which obviously they will be, um, does not be played in Croke Park?
3: Can, we not, like can, that, we, yeah. not, can we not do it just with good with Galway? You know, Galway hurlers. Can just send them to a different province. we not, <laughs> them, uh, to no. No, we're we're not them.
2: You're trying to keep. You know, obviously the provincial councils need the provincial championship because it's, yeah. it's, it's the money you're making, but. I think you know you get the state knockout. It, it, um, it showed this year. Obviously, it, it, we're going to be talking about money and things like that there. But you know, perhaps perhaps the time has come for you know all Ireland quarter finals. Not not necessarily that them all have to be played in Croke Park. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if were to draw, if Dublin were to draw an goal, why not play it in Ballybofey? Uh, the open if draw. Did, the, the, the open draw was
0: certainly uh, asked.
2: Questions.
0: Change the status, you know, the, the status as, as it currently sits. But I would doubt that uh, Donny would look for, or Dublin rather would look forward it. it's up to uh, to the north, up to of Ballabeg. First of all, they will have to cross, and God knows what will happen when they come into the Black North.
2: Uh, <laughs> but even you, know, imagine, you know, imagine, imagine, if Dublin had to go down to Tipperary or, or something. You know, just take that. It's only a wee thing, but just take that comfort, comfort blanket. You know, out of Crowe Park, it's it's uh, you know, even a small thing,
1: Kevin. Like um, the last day yeah. out, Kevin took the hill end and took the their dressing room, and it didn't uh, make that, any difference in was, the end.
2: Yeah, that was alphabetical order of But like um, you um, need to be like you need to be like Noah McGinn's team there in '84, where they just they <laughs> they went and took the hill. They weren't told to take it, but <laughs> you know that. that uh, uh,
0: Need to clarify that, Damien? It was our first time ever in Croke Park, as an opportunity.
2: Ah, you didn't
3: know. <laughs> you didn't know.
0: We just
2: so excited. We just ran. To, you
3: know, we, we ran until we hit the fence and then we realised we better stop and we come back. There
2: were like, <laughs> like, you jobs getting let out in the summertime. <laughs> well, Cairn Duff, one of the tackles in that game, ran to hit the fence as
3: well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My memory serves me, right? God,
3: God bless
1: your memory, Kevin, yeah.
0: Mr Harvey, you have a couple of questions there for Mr Rother, I think.
3: No, 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 I know he, he was, um, like, he, I mean, you had a bit a fair insight into throne football in recent years, I suppose, with uh, doing the book with, with uh, Sean. Um, um, without giving too much away, obviously, you, you, it's, all, it's all in the book, it's so all there for, for everybody to read. Mm. Um, but, it, like, if, 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 from from that perspective, it really was, it was a, an example, I suppose, to other counties like before that, thrown one All Ireland final, two sorry, two All Ireland final appearances, but not not much to show for it. Um, and like, and and writing the book with 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 Kavna, you obviously got a big insight into how everything, when everything does click, how the difference it can make.
1: Yeah, and Sean spoke a lot about the, the two guys, the giant managers that were there beforehand too, and uh, he spoke about like uh, was it Brian McElinden even getting onto him in school and and changing his game. But, but Sean, you know, you guys will, Sean kind of made it happen himself in terms of, uh, he changed his physique and changed his <coughs> whole approach. And he was, uh, eating Mars bars and drinking cans of Coke and having pizzas and that in college. And he had to make that change. And he turned into a, a thoroughbred athlete that happened to win, uh, three all Irelands and, and five all stars. But, uh, he always spoke to me about that group of players, arriving at that time. And, um, you know, obviously, Mickey Hart's arrival brought them maybe from from underage success up to senior as well. And um, I I felt that the insight I got really was like just a complete confidence in his ability and the team's ability to go out. And no matter what hole that they got into, that he everywhere he looked, be it a a Cavlin or a Canavan or a Doher or a Jordan or a Muggsy, uh, that there was somebody to pull him out of a hole. And if they were in a battle, he just look around and see the lads around him and, and be convinced about where they actually were. Um, I think, like, uh, doing that book was a great experience for me. Um, I, I personally got on very well with Sean. I have done for for 20 years. I consider him a great guy. Um, he's been a good friend to me. And I think when the book came, I was after writing Jason Sherlock's... Well, I wasn't after writing it. I was... Jason Sherlock, give him a hand in his autobiography before, the year before. And...
3: I think you probably got that right the first time there, do you
1: mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you have to be careful because I suppose you ghost but you fall into the background very, very quickly because uh, it's their book, in fairness. And I didn't want to do another book at all, to be honest with you, after I was tired and a text arrived in one evening. Sean had been approached by a couple of publishers and he said, um, look, it's yours if you want, if you have any interest. And I just said to my wife, I said, what, what do you think? She goes, well, you have to do that. You know, because both Ruth and I met Sean and Fanula at an All-Stars. What year did Sean get his first All-Star, David? I should know this off the top of my head, but 2003, I presume. Um, but we, we met him at the, at the All-Stars in City West and Fanula, And we, we, um, we all clicked that that evening. We've been friends ever since, you know. Um, but he was, to be honest with you, just from a, a journalist perspective, he was a dream to work with. Um, absolute dream. A couple of things that maybe we, we, we refined or left aside and didn't put in. But um, Sean trusted me 100% like uh, t- to write everything as, as, he, as, he, as he saw it. And sometimes I had to maybe protect Sean, actually, because you know, he was too honest and too, too forthcoming with his opinions. And obviously, like Sean and Mickey wouldn't have had the, the closest relationship. And I often wonder then how, how that left column in, in the years. But uh, I don't think it, it, it took a funk out of anybody. Uh, Mickey got on with his job. Sean said what he had to say. Uh, Colin got on with his job as well you know but um, that night we launched it up there um, Peter Canavan and all the guys came in and we had a great night and I think it's just an enjoyable book to do with him he was he was very very open but like Sean accomplished an awful lot in his career won an awful lot very successful his wife is successful and they're just kind of a uh,
3: they're a good family and pleasure to be involved Damien to be honest. Yeah and I suppose did that give you I suppose your your latest book, then? Um, I suppose yeah. you know the uh, get, get all at the other end of the story. The guys who who leave the eighty thousand stadium yeah. and uh, and and suddenly it's the silence of it all after it. I'm um, looking
1: around to see do I have a copy book? Uh, do I copy of it handy? But I, they've all sold out, <laughs> out of my house. So myself I, my wife,
3: I, well, it's what it's <laughs> when the world stops watching. I think is yeah. what you call it. So yeah, you know and. Well, first of all, I was very impressed with the lineup of people you managed to get uh, to interview for that book.
1: Yeah, I look back at it now and I say, "How the hell did I get sixteen like top names to, to sit down and help me with this book?" But I think it goes back to the to what we we're just chatting about there for the last hour. Like, I mean, having a plan in place and working away at it, chipping away the whole time. And I look back now and say, just to give you a flavor, the, the, the book is called "When the World Stops Watching: Life After the Game," and sixteen of our, our top athletes. From Tommy Bowe, Niall Quinn, Kevin Doyle, Donegal O'Callaghan Sonia Sullivan, Paul Carberry, uh, Marcus Horan. And I, I, anyway, loads more. But I look back at that and I say, "Jesus, how did that actually happen? But I just did like one per week or in terms of texting or calling one athlete per week at Demo. And they agreed to do it. Like only two or three uh, in a couple of the top name rugby players didn't get back to me. Um, one or two guys came back to me and said, Look, I'm not ready to tell my story just yet. So I got those 16, but I worked away at it every single week for my target was 5,000 words a week to write 5,000 words a week. And it, on top of that, then you have to prep and you have to line up your next guest. And a bit like you with your podcast and all that. I'm, I know by you three gentlemen, the amount of research you've done is, is mind boggling. And uh, I know by your your, your army of, of knowledge. But what I did, to, what I had to do then was you couldn't just dish up 16 short stories, I feel, and leave it be in a book. I had to try and tie it together in a narrative. And I think I did that with got four professionals consultants, academics, sports psychologists likes of Gary Keegan to tie the whole thing together because if you grow up and you're judged your whole life on whether you win or lose at the weekend and how you played and how much you scored well, when you're 25 years of that and you come out the other side sure you're totally conditioned how are you going to react and your whole identity is wrapped up in it and uh, I saw that so that's part of the reason I did the book was, was just fascination with how people coped and did, you After find,
3: the, did you find Damien, in terms of you know the professional athlete as, as opposed to the amateur athlete, does the does the gunk of leaving the big stage is it still the same no matter whether you're an amateur or a professional, or is it much much more difficult as a well, professional because obviously they you know that's their livelihood.
1: Yeah, so give be technical I'll give you a technical answer on this. Take Donnica Callan for example. Donnica retired from professional rugby at 38. And he, he went to the toilet one night and he, his urine was yellow. And it was the first time in 18 years that his urine wasn't clear. Uh, on another night, six weeks into retirement, his wife said, we're going down to my mom's house for dinner uh, in three or four nights' time on a Thursday night. And he texted his mother-in-law, uh, could I have like two ounces of uh, chopped steamed vegetables, uh, take the fat off the steak. Um, all this and his wife had to hit him in the ribs and say would you cop on like you don't need to do this anymore you know and for 20 years he woke up with uh, a chart he had red yellow and, and red was Munster or he was he was on in the gym yellow was had to wear a certain gear uh, blue was downtime and until he met Derval O'Rourke performance coach former obviously top mm-hmm. athlete herself she flipped his chart upside down and said now red is family and he came home he, was playing, he finished off his career with rooster in england and he came home one night and the little fellow was 6 months old sorry 18 months old and the little fellow was babbling and he was struggling to understand his son what his son was saying and he's, the rest of his kids and his wife told him they said donica or dad his he's down there he wants you to get it and donica didn't know how to communicate with his son at that stage in terms of couldn't understand it because he wasn't around often enough because he was living in London and he decided the family was staying in Cork. So from that level, to leave a professional lifestyle was incredibly difficult for him. Whereas like the likes of Paul Flynn, who I have in the book as well, the Dublin player, he left on the eve of a five in row, really, because he wasn't even getting guaranteed game time off the bench anymore. But he had his club to, to kind of help him bridge back a little bit. And he also hired a personal trainer to push him in the gym because he was used to being pushed by the 30 so Dublin players with him. So it comes down to the personality. But if you're working in a day job, demo, or if you have a club to fall back on, it's going to be easier for you to adjust than the professionals. And that's uh, the book would reflect that as well. There's no doubt about that.
3: I think anybody that's involved in the GAA would probably uh, absolutely concur with that. I'm sure, Kevin, you know, the likes of... When you come to the end of your playing career, or anybody else comes to the end of their playing career, there wasn't any thought of, uh, sure, I'll just park Galway and I'll walk away from Galway at that stage. No, that's
2: when the, the under football uh, thing kicked in, Damien. But just interesting there to say, Damien, Damien, there saying about writing five thousand words a week, because oh. when the, the was going out, writing twenty five thousand a week.
3: Um, <laughs> five thousand words was an open paragraph. I, I, oh, mean, five thousand words. I've been there as well, Kevin. I've been there as well, Pat. I've been there. Yeah, as well. yeah,
2: yeah. You get play by the line, Damien. But uh, <laughs> um, no. Listen, it's it's uh, there is there is look like Noel, you've been there too, or Noel figures hmm. like you played county and that. There, there is a when your whole life's adjusted to, to to playing football and being associated with football. There is a massive gap there when it, when it ends and. It, you can't even imagine what it's like for professional athletes, or even them top inter-county players, when the whole um, when the whole thing ends. Like it's funny, I was reading somewhere I can't even mind who it was there the other day. Just for you know, success when you win something, it's just it's over that split second. Once you once you, yes. you actually win something, that's it. That's as good as it gets. Everything else is even where they who's this it was. I can't even mind now, but I was reading somewhere where. When, uh, maybe the World Cup. I'll tell you who it was. Sorry, it was Paulo Rossi, who yeah. was an unbelievable player. Like he, he broke my heart in 82. That, yeah. that was the best yeah. uh, team ever, never to win a World Cup, that Brazilian team. But there was a, a thing going on, it and he said that um, when he was there in the World Cup and everything, and when the thing was blue, that split second, he was on top of the world. And he said that after that, more or less. Well, he didn't say all downhill, but that was as good as it got.
1: That's a curse, you know, five, Kevin.
2: That, that's a curse, Kevin, because that's the, almost like an addiction that you have to feed constantly, you know? Yeah. But as he said, five minutes after the, the, the final whistle blew and you know we congratulated each other and they'd won it with the team Bond of Brothers and they yeah. got the, the cup and all their ass. But it just hit with him that it was all over wonder. It was all over, the tournament was all over and it took four years mm, to get mm, there mm. it was all over and uh, he says you can't replicate that he more or less said uh, and broken the, um, that the the main thing was that seconds when the final whistle blew that was mm. and I thought when you won the World Cup you that's the way it would have been for the rest of your life but obviously You might that.
1: get a year out of it yeah. yeah. interesting thing on that
2: is is that
0: uh, uh, the professional nature of the sport is you go back to a club who are paying you a, a decent wage and all the rest, But in the G8, when you went with the guys that you grew up with, people that you lived with all your life, and, you know, goes back to the temporary thing this year, th- th- that success was much more than just winning that game. And it will last for years and years and yeah. years. It's a dribble, the, the stone in the water thing. But you just do not know. But I, I think back to our first Ulster title, and 84, and people still talk about, maybe not you, Damien, but, but mm. uh, people here still talk about the 84 Ulster final, and Frank McGuigan, and and mm. so we have, ah, yeah. yeah So, so those types of things, so uh, that's why I think the GA has a wee bit, it's a wee bit different, because the parochial nature of club and the parochial nature of country... It
1: can, it can be dangerous as well, though, Noel, in that you're 100% right in what you're saying and, and Kevin's right too. Like, I mean, the uh, with professional sport, maybe the bond might not be there as long, but there is a danger in GEA in that if you've reached the heights up here and you fall on hard times, like, a lot of the, the, the instances the people around you will rally and help you, but there have been some, I suppose, awful sad cases whereby you, you see a giant who has fallen and because of who you are and the, the heights that you once hit for your county in Crow Park, the scrutiny or the talk about you is magnified and people almost feel sorry for you. And um, th- there is a danger in that as well. Like, you know, that's a that's one of the darker things of, of, of maybe our life because we're so closely knit and all our GEA people are put up on a pedestal. Wow. And, you know, you, we've even seen it, if we've even seen it like in, in news coverage over the years. If anybody slips out of line, the, the headlines are there hitting you in the face. And that's one thing we have to be wary of too, know.
3: Yeah, Uh, Damien. I was just wondering, out of the book, just who is the most impressed Who 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 impressed you the most in terms of their application and dedication? I suppose. Um, Jesus, I I
1: could be here answering that all night because, to be honest with you, I met sixteen of them, and most of them were absolutely fascinating. Give you a quick rundown before I answer the question. Like Kevin Doyle had to retire with concussion. He's breeding horses in Wexford never as happy. Tommy Bowe is a TV presenter, never as happy. Marcus Horn is now trading rugby players to look after their futures after retirement. He, he didn't get a two-year contract extension and um, he got caught in the hop and he's working at it now. Um, I think who, Niall Quinn probably was, was so honest, he impressed me as well, but who impressed me most was actually a hockey player, Nikki Simmons. Um, she played for her country 224 times. Uh, we didn't make the Olympics un, under her catchment which is all she wanted to do and she played through arthritis and everything and she actually left the country because she couldn't deal with the, the failure of not having reached the Olympics she couldn't handle it and she didn't retire, she didn't acknowledge her retirement, she just moved away and the honesty that she told me about how she dealt with it and even when we qualified for the current Olympics, she wasn't able to watch that game, she had to go to a park and go for a walk in Switzerland because while she wasn't begrudging of the girls, she was so upset herself at not having admit that. And her story made a huge impact with me, you know. Um, Paul McGee's story made a massive impact with me. Paul McGee, you guys might remember. He made his debut Michael for... Robert. No, the, the other Paul McGee, Kev. Um, there was right. two. And this guy played for Wimbledon on, on his debut, 21st birthday, scored against Arsenal, uh, which meant that Arsenal had to beat Liverpool 2-0 on the last day of the 89-90 season. Which they did and uh, Paul was that's right exactly and Paul was due to get a move soon after Wimbledon had won the FA Cup the crazy gang he got on great there he got a £3 million plus move to Coventry City around the time Ray went to Man United for 3.75 so that'll tell you what direction he was going in he on the day he went to sign the contract with Coventry he played one last training game for Wimbledon went up for a high ball with Neil Sullivan the goalkeeper came down smashed his leg uh, as he as he recovered in hospital with the cast, he got a letter from Jack Charlton inviting him into the World Cup squad. And um, effectively, he never met the the heights that he that he was on, destined for. Um, he came back to Ireland, fell out of love with football, and after quitting over forty football, yeah. he put on a lot of weight. His his life went down a wrong turn, and he, he he went to the stage where he was in the bar one night, left early, and. Uh, he contemplated taking his own life and one of his friends copped it and, and ran after him and the turnaround in his story because he, he actually got back to play for, for Ireland at Masters level to fulfil a dream like uh, the turnaround in his life uh, to go from that darkest moment was the most impressive thing for me in the whole book I think you know and I was wary of actually starting the book with that story because of the the dark nature of it but um yeah, his story, Damien, and, and that was, uh, the lads were most, most...
3: disappointing. I think the most disappointing thing for me reading, uh, uh, reading the section of the book that I read anyway, I mean, Damien, was the uh, fact that Shane Supple didn't didn't replace uh, Stephen Cluxon uh, back when <laughs> Cluxon started. Because if he did, I think the last game <laughs> might have been slightly different. Yeah, yeah. And like,
1: they diff, their Shane probably would be more technically goalkeeper than Supple, or uh, sorry, sorry, than, than Stephen. But Stephen's restarts, as you say, should, that's like Dublin's game plan. You know, yeah. Dublin's—you know—unbelievable.
0: well Listen, Damien. Unfortunately, as as usually happens to us, uh, time beats us. But uh, yeah, great I mean, It really has been brilliant. Lots, lots of uh, insights into into those uh, stars and the lives they've led. And uh, but ultimately, as I suppose, it all comes back to the fact that in a small island like this, we produce some incredible people. And and you see see them at their best when it's through sport, their best and their worst. And sometimes the worst, actually, is their best. So listen, and, yeah. thank you very much for coming along tonight and taking the time to chat this. And uh, hopefully, uh, when the next book comes out, Kevin, you must be booked in there with you.
1: Oh, with, with the amount of
2: words, Kevin is right, and he do it himself. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd maybe need to get booked in somewhere, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Listen, Folks,
0: that's the, the LCC-TTM show for Monday night. Delighted, as always, to talk to you. We might be out again before Christmas. We don't know, but if not, uh, have, a, have a good festive season and we'll catch it in our own.